looked at the ways God uh, connects us, I learned that um, Charlie was actually in scouts with both of my brothers growing up. And I ran into him yesterday, and he shared that he remembers helping my, uh, my middle brother with his Eagle Scout project many, many years ago. So it's just amazing the ways we are connected uh, through God's masterful uh, work in this world. I would invite you at this time to hear these words of good news from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am reading from Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 1 and then verses 7 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. May God add a blessing upon the reading of this word. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? O God, open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to receive the message that you would hear us, have us here today. Infuse it deep into our hearts so that we may leave this place being bold disciples of Christ. Amen. This past winter, I found myself uh, standing at the window during a break at the seminary I had attended. Uh, I was up there for a leadership course that I was taking last year. My head was full as I was processing all that I was learning about how systems of families function together. Right before this break, the trainer had led us through a conversation about how we and others had responded to the polar vortex of last January. Does anybody remember that? Panic seemed to set in, didn't it? We were worried we wouldn't have enough food. We were worried we wouldn't have shelter. We were worried we would get cold. And so we talked through this panic that many people felt, our need to stock up at the grocery store and our need to stay home nestled in the warmth. Right after this conversation, she showed us a picture of a holly bush from her home. She explained that right before the polar vortex, robins had come to the bush and eaten every last berry off the bush. She said it was the first time she had ever seen this happen. 
And as I listened, I marveled at the ways that God has created nature to instinctively know how to care for itself. So with the image of the green bush full of berries and life still fresh in my mind, the bush that you see up here is what caught my eye when I stood at the window on break. How ugly, I thought. It's completely bare, it's brown, and the branches are strangely positioned. And though intellectually I understood that this bush was more than the stage I was observing at that moment, all I could think was, what is the point of this bush that appears dead? Our lives are so much more than just a snapshot of our growth. At any given point, we can appear green and fresh and full of berries, or we can appear brown and lifeless and full of death and emptiness. We ebb and we flow over time, and as impatient as some of us can be, we don't have the ability to rush our lives, rush our growth, or rush the growth of others. Timing, according to God, can confound us, and it can downright frustrate us. In our scripture today, we find Jesus at the home of a Pharisee leader. He's been invited to a meal on the Sabbath. Jesus' timing confounded, and it frustrated many. With Sabbath observance, an important part of the Jewish faith, Jesus consistently pushed against the mainstream understanding of what it meant to rest and rejuvenate on the Sabbath. And though it wasn't shared as a part of today's scripture, what had just happened was that Jesus had healed yet another broken and hurting individual on the Sabbath. Immediately following this healing, Jesus turns to the group. And as he observed how the dynamics of the group were functioning, he clearly had some concerns. And because we know that Jesus never lets an opportunity pass by in order to instruct or correct, he addressed their behavior. If you're invited to a wedding banquet, he says, don't sit at the place of honor. In other words, who are you to place yourself above someone else? Or who are you to believe that someone else is not as important? That's not your, care to, that's not your call to make. And if you do make it, well, guess what? You could be embarrassed. The post might ask you to move down because someone more important than you comes. Instead, says Jesus, be humble. Start at the lowest place at the table. There is a possibility that you might move up. Jesus makes this sound simple enough. Walk into a room and don't choose the most important seat. We, of course, as Jesus did know, as Jesus knew, it's not quite that simple. If it were, Jesus probably wouldn't have addressed it. Our human egos are powerful. They get in the way of our true humility. Generations and generations of systems of our human families have taught us that we are to seek to be in control, be important, and appear powerful to others. And when this happens, we believe ourselves to be elevated over others. This is what Jesus is addressing. There's a misguided understanding that humility means to think less of oneself, almost to the point of becoming a martyr. 
This is not the case. All of us are invited to the banquet. Each person, each and every one of us, has a seat at the table. It's how you view yourself in relation to others that Jesus is calling into question. So what does it mean to be humble? When I ask this question in groups, groups often get kind of caught up and don't know how to define it for themselves. It seems to be a difficult concept. Many groups have been left struggling to put words to defining what it means to be humble. Being humble means that we take a look at ourselves and really think about our motivations for wanting to be perceived as the best, or the richest, or the most powerful, or the smartest, or the most popular, the busiest, or the most successful. Are our motivations based on values that society has told us is important? Or are our motivations based on values that Jesus has told us are important? Quaker author Parker Palmer writes about his growing understanding of humility in his book, Let Your Life Speak. He writes this, Years ago, someone told me that humility is central to the spiritual life. That made sense to me. I was proud to think of myself as humble. But this person did not tell me that the path to humility often leads through humiliation. We are brought low, rendered powerless, stripped of our pretenses and defenses. Some of us are left feeling fraudulent, empty, and useless. It's a humiliation that allows us to regrow our lives from the ground up. Humility is not something we come to from an intellectual understanding. Humility is often something that we learn through our life experiences. It takes time, it takes patience, and in the waiting, we grow. In Palmer's case, he talks about working through crippling depression. He came to the realization that part of the process of his own healing was to dig through his pretense he had uh, put out there of having his life all together. He had to learn how to be authentic with those who are closest to him. Otherwise, humility is not really humility. It's an empty, inauthentic, and false expression of pretending to care about others. At the core of humility is a genuine authenticity. But authenticity is not something that we come to easily. Being authentic means being vulnerable, and showing who we really are well, that takes courage. Many of us have spent lifetimes constructing a picture of who we are that isn't quite real. And beginning to deconstruct what we've built up over all of those years, well, it's going to take time. It's going to take patience, and it's going to take some bravery. In her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, author Brene Brown writes, that authenticity is the daily practice of letting go who we think we are supposed to be and embracing who we really are. It means cultivating the courage to be imperfect. It means setting boundaries and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Mindfully practicing authenticity during our most soul-searching struggles is how we begin to invite grace, and joy and gratitude into our lives. 
Without its leaves and its beauty, the bush that I had been staring at seemed as if it had been stripped of all of its power and all of its defenses. It was bare, all of its ugliness exposed for me and the world to see. And as I stood and stared at this ugly bush, the more I began to see. Small birds quickly flew into the bush landed for just a moment or two, and then went on their way. The bush was a respite for these birds during the long and cold winter, and in its exposure and humility, there was purpose and strength and support for God's creation. Jesus invites us to recognize our purpose and God's desire. And this is accomplished when we have set aside the human need to elevate ourselves by clearing away the brush of what has covered our true God-created selves, we naturally become more humble. And in the humility, we make way for Jesus' call to include all at the banquet table. We include the poor, the sick, the lonely, the desperate, the imprisoned, the fleeing, the weak, the exhausted, the outcast, the meek, the marginalized and exploited. We include the disenfranchised, the disheartened, and the disgusting. When all are included, God's original design for this world becomes clearer. In our humility, our authenticity, and our vulnerability, it is easier to begin to understand God's design more fully. It's when worldly things begin to not matter as much. The importance of power and material items become secondary. Relationships and how others are treated begin to, be, begin to become central for us. Archbishop Desmond Tutu has written a book called The Book of Forgiving. The book is beautiful and it's challenging. It's a journey through forgiveness and it lays out some practical steps on how to forgive. Throughout it, he has many examples of the atrocities that humans have inflicted upon humans over the years. And though it's difficult to read about experiences that some others have had, it's an uplifting book because it is a reminder to all of us about the importance of God's design for us to be in relationship with one another. And in his book, he writes this. In South Africa, Ubuntu is our way of making sense of the world. The word literally means humanity. It is the philosophy and belief that a person is only a person through other people. In other words, we are only human in relation to one another. Our humanity is bound up in one another and any tear in the fabric of connection between us must be repaired in order to make us whole. This interconnectedness is the very root of who we are. This interconnectedness is the very root of who we are. Jesus' teachings center around how we are to treat one another and tears in the fabric of our connection, whether it's through us choosing the most important place at the table or us excluding someone from the invitation, or us refusing to care for someone because it's not convenient, or us ignoring the cries of the hurting, 
Anytime we do this, it always results in us moving away from God rather than closer to God. Isn't it funny? We often think of God as on high. And it is scriptural, so I get it. But what about God below? Do we look for God beneath the surface? Or are we waiting for big and bold moments where God's beauty springs forth in powerful ways? What if the big and beautiful moments are most often hid beneath the surface, appearing at first glance as bland and perhaps even ugly? I frequently hear concern from people who have never had one of those big, bold experiences with God, and they question their faith journey. They wonder if their journey is less important than another's. I want you to hear this from me, one of your pastors. If that is you, your journey is your journey. It is no more important or less important than anyone else's. It is just as meaningful as the next person's experience. Just as no person's life is more important than another's, because we are all created in God's image, equally loved, no more, no less. So when the break was over, I reluctantly went back to my class. It wasn't that I didn't want to return to this amazing seminar that I had uh, been a participant, participant in. It was that I was unexpectedly enthralled with this ugly bush in front of me. So at the next break, I decided to go back and look at the bush some more, and I decided to take some pictures so that over time I could look at the pictures and continue to reflect on whatever God was calling me to see. And as I stepped outside to take some pictures, I encountered the bush from a new angle. And with a new angle, I had a new perspective. Now, it's hard to see in this picture, but what I failed to see during the first break was each, on the end of each of these branches, there are buds forming. I had not seen them the first time I had looked at the branch. How on earth had I missed the new life, which now showed itself so brightly and so boldly to me? It was so obvious and so beautiful, and it was a reminder to me that growth does not happen immediately. Friends, growth does not happen in a moment. Growth does not happen in a day. Growth does not happen in a week, or a month, or a year, or even a decade. Growth continues on and on over our entire lives, and this is a part of the beauty of God. We get to learn right up until the day that God calls us home. We get to deepen our relationships with God, and we get to deepen our relationships with one another. No matter what, it is never too late to change and to evolve. This is the beauty of our God who takes us and all of creation and is constantly making all things new. We just need to take a breath, slow down, and enjoy the journey through the waiting. And through the waiting, may a growing of humility bloom in each and every one of us. May it be so for all of us. Amen.
I'd invite you as you are able to rise as we sing our closing hymn together.